0: Welcome to the Countdown to Canada podcast by ARRIVE, a podcast for newcomers by newcomers. We give you the information, resources, and tips you need to build a successful life here. Whether you're exploring your immigration options, looking for your first job, starting your studies as an international student, or adapting to life in Canada, this podcast will set you up for a smooth journey. Now let's get you home. Hi, I'm your host, Claude Le Beauvalier, and my co-host for today is Wanzi Silva. Wanzi is the senior manager for client success and operations for the newcomer and cultural segment uh, at Royal Bank of Canada. And before that, she headed up one of the RBC newcomer meeting place branches in the greater Toronto area, where she helped thousands of newcomers get their banking started in Canada, settle into their new life, plan for their financial goals in Canada. RBC has been a great banking partner for newcomers to Canada for over 150 years, and that is also why they fund everything that we do here at ARRIVE. In today's episode, I am going to be talking to Wanzi about the banking and financial environment in Canada, some financial products that newcomers require, and also address common questions and challenges that many newcomers face when it comes to finances. So, Wanzi, thank you for being here today. I am so excited to have you.
1: Hey, Clem. I'm so glad to be here as well. I know from the experience that navigating a completely new financial environment isn't easy. I'm always happy for a chance to connect with newcomers and make that journey a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, you were once a newcomer in Canada yourself, so you probably faced similar challenges when you arrived. You moved to Canada in 2017, right? That's correct.
1: I'm originally from Sri Lanka, and I had about 10 years of experience in the banking and finance industry when I moved here. And now that I've been working in the banking industry in Canada for almost five years, I'm well-versed with how banking and financial products are
0: different in Canada. That's amazing. So you're the perfect person for this podcast. (laughs) So let's get started. Um, What are the different types of financial institutions that newcomers should know about here in Canada?
1: Sure. Let me walk you through that. So there are about five big banks in Canada. Typically, we call RBC being one of the number one banks, Bank of Montreal, Scotia Bank, CIBC, and BMO. Those are the top five. Most newcomers prefer to bank with one of the top five because they offer a range of financial services. And they have a strong presence across Canada. There are also credit unions and mortgage companies. Um, Further, standalone insurance companies and investment companies as well. But most large banks also provide these services. So newcomers tend to really go into uh, banking with uh, the top five banks. We also have key financial authority that you need to be aware of, which is Bank of Canada. Now, Bank of Canada sets interest rates, monetary policy, and issues currency. But remember, it's not the place where you will do your day-to-day banking. It's important to bank with one of the financial institutions that give you full access to a variety of perhaps ATMs, branch uh, network, or maybe advice, a full range of advice, starting from investments to day-to-day transactions or how to even buy your first home in Canada. So it's important that you connect with the right financial institution so that you get that holistic advice.
0: Right. So if you're listening to us today, do your research uh, when you are picking a, um, a bank that you are going to be um, banking with when you land here in Canada. So to get started, newcomers will need a bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there is a little bit of confusion about the types of bank accounts that are available in Canada and the purpose they serve. Uh, because in some countries, the terminology is a little different. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the uh, common types of bank accounts in Canada?
1: For sure. I recall when I came, Clem, that um, you know the uh, typical transaction account back in Sri Lanka was a savings account. And I wasn't aware of check-ins account because businesses would be typically using check-ins account. So let me walk you through the different types of accounts that we use in Canada and why it's important. So check-ins account is for your day-to-day transactions. You usually get a debit card with this account. Savings account, on the other hand, is for short-term or mid-term savings. Um, And it's attached with an interest rate, of course. So, for example, if you're employed, you receive a salary, You don't want to send that to a savings account, typically. You want to send that into your checking account, um, on which you will do your bill payments, transactions, payroll deposits, etc. You do not get any interest.
0: Okay, and so a checking account is for everyday transactions, essentially, and savings accounts is for setting some money aside for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And savings accounts typically have a limited number of transactions that you're allowed to use. uh, That's correct. But you do earn interest. So Mm -hmm. a newcomer would need both of these, then? I would say yes.
1: Typically, to do your day-to-day transactions, keep the checkings account. And when you want to set aside some money for a short-term goal, like I mentioned, or long-term, whatever the goal may be, have that savings account alongside.
0: Um, So that actually brings me to my next question. When and how can newcomers open their first bank accounts in Canada? Is this something that they can do before they actually arrive?
1: Absolutely. Um, At RBC, typically you have the um, opportunity to open a bank account depending on which country you're migrating from. Uh, Could be a student, could be uh, that you're moving here on uh, a work permit or as a permanent resident. Uh, Sometimes you may have to notarize certain documents like your uh, passport and the application. You can apply uh, via online as well. And one of our newcomer advisors or experts will connect with our pre-arrival clients to set that banking for you. The the idea of having this account is for you to remit funds pre-arrival and that you have those funds ready uh, for you know, your day-to-day uh, use when you come to Canada.
0: Okay, so pre-arrival account opening essentially is preparing that account for when you are physically present in Canada and Mm -hmm. you can send funds to it, but you can't do any spending with it until you physically land in Canada. Absolutely.
1: That's important to know, right? Yeah,
0: (laughs) very helpful. Um, So if you're moving to Canada in the next couple of months, you can also book an appointment with an RBC newcomer advisor through Arrive and we'll connect you with an advisor who's located close to uh, their future city in Canada. Um, And we'll include a link to that appointment booking page in the episode description. I also want to talk about some factors to keep in mind when you're choosing a bank. As a newcomer, your financial situation will be different compared to someone who's been living in Canada for a long time. And ideally, you want a bank that's familiar with newcomer priorities, newcomer challenges. Um, Some banks offer newcomer-specific products and offers, and some even have financial advisors who may speak your native language. Other things you want to consider uh, when you're choosing a bank is whether that uh, bank has many branches or ATMs close to your location, uh, because obviously when you use an ATM uh, from a different bank, then there are fees involved, Um, and whether they offer other financial products besides banking, like insurance and loans and mortgages. Uh, So you should also know that the options available to you for transferring funds to Canada Most banks uh, allow you to send international money transfers or wire transfers from your home country to Canada. But there are also other services like third-party money transfer companies, uh, Western Union, World Remit, MoneyGram, as well as peer-to-peer transfer services like uh, TransferWise or Remitly. And regardless of which option you use, don't forget to carry some funds in cash with you just for your first few days in Canada. So Wanzi, besides banking accounts, uh, what other financial products do newcomers need in the beginning?
1: I'd highly recommend uh, newcomers to have a credit card as well, uh, Clem, apart from the day-to-day banking check-ins account and the savings account, because you need this credit card in order for you to establish your credit history.
0: Yeah, so (laughs) credit is super important. Um, Many newcomers are unfamiliar with how credit works and why it's important. Canada's a credit-based economy, which means that most people borrow money from their bank or financial institution to make purchases instead of using cash, um, and credit cards are the most common type of credit product, but there are other types of credit too, like loans, mortgages, lines of credit. Um, and a lot of newcomers come from countries where credit isn't common uh, and being in debt is actually considered bad, uh, or where people only borrow money if they can't afford to pay for something outright. That is not the case in Canada. And that's important to understand. Even as a newcomer, it's absolutely essential to take credit, starting with a credit card, because it's the only way to build your credit history. Uh, Wanti, do you want to explain to our listeners what a credit history is and why it matters?
1: Absolutely, Clem. And I think I'll go a little bit slow here because this is a really very important topic. First of all, remember your credit history in Canada is your financial reputation. Every time you borrow and repay money, a certain amount of information is shared with Canada's credit bureaus, Equifax and TransUnion. So over time, more information is added, such as whether you make payments on time and what portion of credit limit you use, how much of outstanding debt you have, and all of that information becomes your credit history in total. So keep that in mind that not just having a credit card is important, using the credit card and how much of limit you use is important as well as how you make those repayment is important all those aspects are equally contributing to your credit history typically the score ranges from 300 to 900 and i would say anything over 700 750 would be an ideal number now higher the credit score the less risk you represent to lenders like the banks the financial institutions that's the key right there isn't mm-hmm. it so when we pull up a credit report When you apply for a line of credit, a loan or mortgage, or even when you're enhancing your credit limit from, let's say, $5,000 to even another $1,000, we pull up that credit history. You want to make sure as a new immigrant that you maintain that credit history, you make your payments. And how do you do that? By ensuring you fully pay uh, your outstanding balance on your credit card before or on the due date. That's very important. Yeah. Now. Is your credit history transferable from back home to Canada? That is something perhaps that's running in your mind. And the answer is no. So remember, even though you had a great credit history, you still have to start from ground zero when you come to Canada.
0: I believe there's one exception to that rule, right? Um, From speaking to uh, a few advisors recently, Mm -hmm. I understand that if you do have a credit history in the U.S., that credit history will not transfer over automatically to Canada, but you are able to fill out some paperwork, mm-hmm. uh, you as uh, an individual, to allow your bank to request for it to be transferred. That is the one exception to um past credit history from another country getting carried over into Canada.
1: That's correct, Your credit history from U.S. and Canada are not amalgamated. It's two independent credit histories. But yes, it is transferable, but it, there is a little bit of a process there.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and so... Obviously, this credit history is really important uh, when you're uh, getting a loan, for example, or a mortgage, but also in uh, some other circumstances. For example, if you are looking to lease a car, Mm -hmm. uh, which is essentially a long-term rental, and there's going to be regular monthly payments you'll have to be making, um, oftentimes the car dealership will pull up your credit history to see if they can be Trusting you uh, with that car. If you're looking to rent an apartment, oftentimes um, people will ask for a credit check as well. So Mm -hmm. uh, the sooner you start building that credit history and kind of uh, get it to where you want it to be to prove that you're a a financially reliable person, uh, the sooner you'll reap the benefits in a lot of different aspects of your life, not just your finances. That's correct, Clem. Um, So newcomers start with no credit history, essentially, which is not the same as a zero credit score, right? That's
1: that's right. Um, so, for example, zero credit score is, you know, you have a bank account, but you forgot to apply for that credit card, or your spouse applied for the bank account, but you thought it was not important for her to have that credit card. That'll be a zero score. So, for example, uh, now you want to apply for a car loan, and with your recent employment, et cetera, you're not eligible on your own. It could apply for even buying your first home. Uh, you want to get your uh, spouse or your partner into that credit application. But guess what? Because uh, the other person has a zero credit score, they're now not going to be able to contribute as much to that loan application. So make sure from all the benefits that the banks would give, either through a newcomer credit card. It could be that you have to apply for a secured credit card. There are many options. Just make sure you get that credit card to kind of go from ground zero to you know 700 or above levels.
0: OK, that's great. And so getting that credit card as soon as possible um, and using it regularly for small purchases. And very, very important, repaying your bill in full and on time or even before um, the end of the billing cycle. I'm going to share a quick tip. Most banks allow
1: pre-authorized payments towards your credit mm-hmm. card. I think this is super important. When those facilities are available for you to kind of pay off your entire uh, outstanding balance, opt for that feature. Oftentimes, newcomers forget to pay their bill, not because they cannot pay, it, because they're so busy with other day-to-day um, functions. Perhaps you forget the due date. But if you pre-authorize the payment from your uh, account, then you don't have to worry about that due date. And payments are made automatically.
0: That's a really great tip right there. mm -hmm. Um, See if it is available in your online banking app, for example. That is a feature that you can explore right there.
1: Absolutely. I think um, with banks like RBC, once again, we have those features. So again, we go back to the same point of choosing that right financial partner, not only that gives you right advice, but also digitally enabled in, in many aspects. And you know support newcomers. Um, with regards to the credit limit, let me give you an example, a simple example. If you have a thousand dollar credit card limit, um, stick to maybe thirty to forty percent maximum. That keep that as your regular spending limit. What that means is maybe for your groceries, bill payments, even buying a small coffee, your total bill on a, a revolving bill might come to three hundred dollars a month. Make sure when you get your statement um, uh, in the next month, look at the statement balance and pay that amount in full. Now, if you have a $1,000 limit, does that mean you can use that $1,000 every month? The answer is yes. However, the recommendation is that you stick to that 30 to 40% limit so that not only it helps you to kind of understand and maintain, okay, you're borrowing whatever you can pay back. It will also contribute and show the lenders that you're not a a heavy credit seeker. When we pull that credit history, we can see that you're maintaining your credit history well instead of being a high credit seeker.
0: Yeah, so... uh in your example, someone who has a credit limit of 1000 and they've already spent $300, but they really uh, need to make an additional purchase. Uh, in order to kind of stick to that 30%, 35% rule that you just gave us, mm-hmm. um, they could actually go into their banking app, pay their credit card bill right then and there, and that brings their credit um, uh, back down to zero, and That's they can right. make that additional spending while still staying within that 30 to 35% rule. You said that right, Clem.
1: So let's give an example, right? So let's say you want to purchase. And as a newcomer, definitely, um, you know, there are are one-off transactions like purchasing your furniture, uh, furniture, right? So let's say the bill is $800, but you still want to use that for the the rest of the uh, statement or cycle or the next month. Do pay that uh, bill the same day, like that amount the same day. So that $1,000 is available again for you. And, of course, we are using $1,000 as like a basic limit but our newcomers. Uh, get eligible depending on uh, various different aspects to even $15,000 as, as a new immigrant.
0: Yeah. And so, exactly. Uh, that credit limit isn't set in stone, right? Mm-hmm. You might start with a credit limit of 1000 or 2000 or or $5,000, but as you find a job in Canada um, and your income increases, uh, you can revisit that credit limit with your financial advisor, right?
1: That's correct, Clem.
0: Okay, Um, Let's talk a little bit about what happens if you don't pay that credit card bill in full. What are the risks there?
1: I think that's a huge risk. Remember, I mentioned that maintaining your credit history is like maintaining your financial reputation. So imagine you forget to make that payment, or you miss a payment. That information actually gets recorded in your credit bureau report. So let's say you miss it once, twice, thrice. If you come to the bank or to any financial institution and you want to borrow even $500, I'm just giving you that smallest amount because people think, oh, maybe for $100,000, your credit history matters. But guess what? Even for the banks or financial institutions to give you $500, we still look at your credit history. The way you have made payments, which is called the payment pattern. Are you somebody who is paying the full outstanding balance versus the minimum? Have you missed payments or you are Have you not paid at all? Mm -hmm. All these records will be in your credit history uh, for many years. Let me just emphasize the word years and not days, because we look at the credit history for maybe a couple of years, two, three, four, five years at times, depending on how large the facility is. So do not miss any payments is what I would say. And then there's
0: interest, right? That's
1: correct. But in Canada, definitely the interest rates are very high. It could be as high as 19% to even 30% at times. So you don't want to be paying penalties or late payment fees um, or that interest, for example unnecessarily. As a newcomer, you want to save and stay within your budget. So be be cautious of those facts as well.
0: Yeah. So let's do another example here. If I have a credit card bill for $1,000 I spent and my bill comes in, it says that the minimum payment is $200. Mm-hmm. And I only pay that minimum payment of $200. There's still $800 that I owe. There's 20 to 30% of interest that I'm going to have to pay on those $800 in addition to that bill next month. Um, And that just, in addition to being a a black mark on your credit score, Mm -hmm. um, it's also just really increasing the amount that you're gonna have to pay back eventually. So, really, as a newcomer, as you get used to credit, Get in the habit of paying your bill on time, in full, um, and and making sure you only use credit if you can afford to. Um, You're not buying uh, things that are uh, above your means because that could really come back and hurt you um, in the long term. Um, Some some people uh, think that um, if they get more credit cards, that's actually going to uh, help them with their credit score. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I would highly recommend to have maybe one or two maximum if you really need it. Ideal would be one. Um, As long as you use that credit card wisely with all the tips that Clem and I just shared, uh, your credit history will um, improve. And don't just believe me. Look at the credit score. You can access it if you're banking with an organization like RBC. We have access to um, the credit uh, score through our online banking site. And many top financial institutions sometimes have that feature as well. So be familiar with looking at that credit score, um, You know, understanding if there is um, any credit check that you didn't uh, look at. For, for example, you're going to purchase your first car, and you go to uh, a car dealership. And when you come home after a few days, you notice that there were five credit pulls or inquiries done on your credit history. Guess what? You have to tell as a newcomer or you have to advise your car dealer up front not to pull your credit history multiple times, because every time they pull the credit history, it brings down your credit score.
0: Um, so what is your recommendation in terms of using several credit products? Um, we talked about having multiple credit cards. And and I think the the recommendation there is um, only do so if you are able to keep track of them and make sure that all of the bills for all of those cards are mm-hmm. paid on time and in full. Mm-hmm. But what about when you throw in a line of credit in there or a mortgage? Um, what's the recommendation there?
1: Definitely, uh, Clem. It's important to have a good credit mix. It's, it's recommended for sure. But having said that, you have to be aware of your own financial situation. Can you afford um, to kind of have all these facilities? Why? Remember, it's a borrowing. It's not free money. There is an interest involved, which is very high. And there is a repayment that is attached to it as well. So that's why we recommended just have one to two credit cards. Eventually, when you're applying for a a mortgage, having that one to two credit cards, maybe you will get pre-authorized if you maintain your credit history. You get pre-authorized with lines of credit. It could be a secured line of credit, typically an unsecured line of credit. But it's important you first sit with an advisor, especially newcomer advisors I'd recommend. If you even consider banks like RBC, we have specialists who will advise you and really take a deep look into your individual financial situations and, and kind of evaluate to say, yes, this makes sense. I'll give you an example. Often newcomers, opt for certain line of credit facilities, but they don't understand the logic behind it. They don't know how to use it. They don't understand when the payments are supposed to be made. So don't sign up for something that you're not familiar with. Get that expert advice because you're in a brand new country. Of course. Right. You need to be uh, aware of all these nuances.
0: Yeah. And it's um, perfectly normal uh, when you're Uh, Coming to a place where things are done differently to find it a little confusing at first and having someone who can walk you through it, explain the fine print, so to speak, is really an incredible ally to have in this space. Um, One one question I often hear from newcomers coming to Canada with their spouses is whether it makes more sense to have a single credit card for the family or whether it's better to have separate credit cards for each spouse. Um, What's your take on that?
1: Sure, Clem. Again, great question. Um, I explained a little bit with an example earlier, you know, where uh, I took an example of a, a, a spouse um, and, and the main primary applicant having just one credit card, and let's say the wife not having a credit card. Um, in this case, another scenario would also be having a joint credit mm-hmm. card. So let's say I have a credit card for $5,000, and I'm going to make my spouse the course um, borrower on that mm-hmm. application. Does that mean my spouse's credit also uh, be established? The answer is no.
0: That's really important. It is very important. Super important important to understand. If you are using the same credit card with both spouses, only the primary applicant is building their credit history. The spouse is not. So what happens down the line a few years later when uh, that couple wants to buy a home?
1: Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, if you have those intentions to have a, a joint mortgage, could be a large a personal loan to finance even your business, maybe your spouse or your partner is your business partner. Again, even for businesses, in the, the directors or the partners, individual credit history is evaluated, just like when you're applying for a loan, uh, like a mortgage. So if your spouse or that partner does not have that credit history, and you are the only person who established that credit history from day one, that means they're not adding value as much as they could have if they had had a credit card. So question is, even if you're eligible for a $500 credit card to even a $5,000, should I take it? Should I use it? Yes, absolutely. Start using that credit card to purchase that coffee. Um, Have a mix of transactions on that uh, credit card like Um, pre-authorize your insurance payments, Mm -hmm. pre-authorize your bill payments, your mobile uh, provider's bill payments. So have a mix of types of transactions um, on that credit card so that, you know, not only you, but, uh, you know, your spouse will also establish
0: that credit history independently. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you do go to apply for a mortgage, you'll be able to get a bigger mortgage uh, at a better rate, if both spouses have a very healthy credit score at that you that You got that correct, yes. Okay, so thank you. Those are really helpful tips. Um, we've covered bank accounts, we've covered credit products. Let's talk about investments next. And I know that some newcomers wait until they have a job before they start to invest. But there are also quite a few people who bring their savings from their home countries to invest here in Canada. What types of investment products are the most popular among newcomers?
1: Great question again, Clem. So there is one typical traditional product that you might hear, just like fixed deposits that we often hear. It's called GIC. So GIC means a guaranteed investment certificate. So you invest some money, let's say $5,000, you want to lock it for about a year, and you want to get a guaranteed rate of return. That would be your typical conventional product. Very safe. Very safe, 100% guaranteed. Having said that, if you want to have that sense of, um, you know, I want to earn a little bit of higher interest, but have that guaranteed return as well, there are certain equity-linked, or stocks or bonds, mutual funds related um, GICs as well. So definitely speak to your advisor. They can give you more advice on that. And I think that's a different topic on its own, uh, CLEM investments. Uh, and then we have stocks and shares. So definitely, you know, uh, these uh, shares are typically listed in the stock exchange, um, and people can opt for these facilities through their bank, through their online uh, trading platform. We also have instruments uh, like bonds issued by the government or certain corporations, and it is um, attached with an interest rate. Now, mutual funds, very popular in Canada, um, and something definitely a newcomer should explore as they invest for mid-term to longer-term goals, I would say. They are not typically short-term kind of investments. There is um, a certain portfolio of stocks, bonds, and other financial assets attached to mutual fund portfolios. Uh, we also have exchange-traded funds, like other mutual funds that are listed in stock exchange. Again, I think it's a very long uh, topic, but in a nutshell, we do have mutual funds, ETFs, uh, stocks, uh, shares, as well as GICs, a variety of investments, investment products that our newcomers can invest
0: in. Okay, so people invest their savings in these, mm-hmm. um, but they can hold them within registered accounts, I believe. That's correct. So. What are registered accounts?
1: <laughs> Sounds interesting, isn't it? So when, when you hear the word registered investment, it means that uh, it's linked with the CRA. Uh, typically, uh, for, a new, for a newcomer to invest in one of these in investments, they have to have a SIN number, which is called the social insurance. Those are primary features of all of these products In uh, collectively. Um, my most favorite product is the tax-free savings account. It's called the TFSA very popular amongst our our new immigrants, are within the TFSA umbrella are many other investment plans. You can invest funds in a GIC. You can put the money in a mutual fund or even direct investing or stocks. Within that um, TFSA, um, all returns earned on top of your capital, all those returns are tax-free. So the word tax-free is already there in the word TFSA. And there is a cap on it, for example, the limit for 2023 is 6500 So if you have $10,000 uh, with you and you want to invest some money where you want to uh, have that peace of mind that you don't want to pay interest or any you know extra fees on that investment, TFSA would be the best bet. Only put to $6,500 for this year if you landed this year because if you exceed the limit, very important. If you exceed the limit, there would be like a one percent penalty per month.
0: So yeah. you don't want to over contribute. So don't over um, contribute to this one.
1: That's right. On a very high level, uh, Clem, I'll just explain RSP and RESP. Mm-hmm. RSP is typically for newcomers or any uh, resident um, who earn an income. So. If once you file your first taxes in Canada, especially... Can you tell
0: us what RRSP stands for?
1: Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's Registered Retirement Savings Plan. Okay, so the word so retirement... Retirement
0: shows it's long term.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, we use the RRSP for first-time home buyer benefits as well. Uh, there are definitely advantages of investing in the RRSP, not only for retirement purposes. Mm-hmm. But having said that, again, very important rule to keep in mind is you have to first File your taxes the first year, um, and look at the limit available for you to contribute. Do not just opt for an RRSP and start contributing with, without knowing these limits. Again, there is a penalty that is involved. Yeah,
0: and that limit is it changes for everyone because it's a function of what you've earned, right?
1: Absolutely, it's about eighteen percent of your earned income for the previous year.
0: All right, so there's another registered plan called the RESP. What That's does right. that mean? So RESPs typically for your kids. Uh
1: RESP is the Registered Education Savings Plan. Um, So the good thing about RESP is the government actually encourages uh, newcomers or, again, parents to invest for their children's education. And they do give certain grants, bonds, and benefits um, as a part of this plan. So if you have, let's say, for example, one child, and you want to open this RESP for your child, uh, you can contribute um, certain amounts, having said that the government matches 20% up to the first 2500 that you deposit. And,
0: and so this is during the child's childhood mm-hmm. so that when they uh, go to post-secondary institution, this will cover both tuition and cost of living. You
1: got that right, yes. So
0: an amazing option uh, to kind of plan ahead if you have children for their post-secondary education costs. Um, and I've looked into this cause I have three children, mm-hmm. um, and regardless of where in the world they are studying, there's a whole bunch of, uh, foreign educational institutions that are actually included in the RESP as well. So definitely if you've got children, something worth talking to your financial advisor about to plan for their future post-secondary education, um, I think there is one other um, upcoming uh, registered plan that uh, you wanted to talk about today. For sure, Clem.
1: So we have something that's coming up, which is called FHSA, which is First Home Savings Account. And this will be launched somewhere in April. And I'm sure our newcomers will be excited. This is a Dedicated plan for new immigrants um, or basically any first-time home buyer uh, to invest, and it's it's purely for the purpose of how can I um, save towards my down payment. Uh-huh. So remember, just like the credit history, employment, having that down payment is also equally important, of and course. it's a question in mind, right? Yeah. How do I save for it? So the the first home savings account will um, definitely help. There are certain limits set aside as well. There is a certain flexibility for withdrawals, uh, and it's a registered plan once again. So stay tuned. Uh, It will be launched in April, and definitely our newcomers will hear more about that.
0: Yeah, so... Thank you for highlighting all of these options when it comes to saving and investing. Um, I really want to acknowledge that as a newcomer, it can, and even as a non-newcomer, it can be difficult to determine which financial products are right for you. Um, so if you're looking for more information on bank accounts, uh, financial services, or if you're ready to open your Canadian bank account, um, you can book an appointment with an RBC newcomer advisor even before you come to Canada. You can also download our financial guide and you'll find both links uh, in the episode description. Wansi, we address quite a few newcomer concerns and questions in our conversation today. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of your wisdom and your amazing tips with our listeners. Um, and to you, uh, thank you for listening to the Countdown to Canada podcast by Rive. I hope that the tips we've shared with you today will help you understand the banking ecosystem in Canada and help you make financial decisions that are right for you long-term. For other newcomer resources to help with your career, life, and finances in Canada, check out our website, arrivein.com, and subscribe to our podcast. And we hope to see you back for our next episode.